Now, we, we're on a series, The Body of Christ. I added it all up. I had it in my head. I'm like, we're going to finish it, and then Shelly will speak. We'll do the celebration thing and then move on. But I'm really bad at math, and I, I counted three as four, and I was going to cut it off, but I'm telling you, I really wanted to do this one. So we're going back to it for one week only because uh, it, it, it's meaningful to me. And I think it's going to be meaningful to you. And it's, it's, it's the way that we must end this discussion. Of what does it mean to be the body of Christ? A common analogy in Scripture is that the body of Christ, that, that Christ, his church, is his body, and he is the head. And so as we've been looking into that, there's, there's one way we must conclude and we must keep in mind before we close the book on this one. So we're going to look at how Paul uses this term, body of Christ, in just one book, Colossians, today. We're going to go just one verse in each, in uh, three chapters, and we're going to look at what he means by this. Uh, But first, I want to tell you a brief story. I'm second oldest in my family, and uh, there's a huge age gap. I mean, at least I think so, five years between me and the twins. And so I it was, it was me, I was the baby, then there was twins. So I went from being the baby of the family to vice president of the kids like that. It's, and so my identity in the family has felt very much like I am one of the oldest. Jake is the oldest, but I'm like one of the oldest. And so I had this experience of what it is to be one of the oldest kids. And one of the things is, is that you, you always go first and they watch you. I remember, uh, and, and you, you set these examples, good or bad. And so I remember there was one day we were all going to go. We were at my grandma's house, and my, my uncle, Matt, was there. And you always have, like, the cool, fun uncle. Often that falls on the youngest uncle. And he wore the mantle well. He was a fun uncle. He had us all lined up. He was always fun, always super nice. Had us lined up, and he were going to go. He was, he was just putting pageantry into it. We're going to go in the backyard, but it's an exploration. So it's my grandma's backyard, but he's got us lined up for the safari and I don't know why. He's walking by. He walks in front of me, and I, I just have this idea. I'm going to punch him. And I punched him right where my kids would call the privates, full force. <laughs> Evander Holyfield, just bam. And uh, I got in huge trouble for that. I intended it for a joke, but here's the thing about that joke. It's not funny at all. Uh, <laughs> and so I get in huge trouble for it. Uh, some of the biggest trouble, like there's, you know, when you're little kids, there's like ranks of trouble. Like, oh, do you remember when so-and-so did what? Sam punching Matt in the bread baskets, about the worst it gets. Uh, and do you want to know how many of my siblings did that after me? Zero. None of them did it after me. Because when you're the oldest, at your best, you're, uh, you're a guiding voice of wisdom and counsel and protection, and at your worst, you're a beautiful example of how not to do it. And that's what you do. Everybody needs somebody to go first. The first one is very critical. The Greeks in their marathons, they had the forerunner, meaning that it would, he would go ahead of the race, and it was, this was critical, the roads. This is, you got to remember, pre-Rome, so the roads are rough, and they need to make sure they're safe. The people knew the path. There were little pathways. And so he, the forerunner would go ahead, and he would mark it with little flags and things, uh, just ahead of the marathon to make sure that all the flags and markers were accurate, that nothing was messed with, and that people were safe to move on. So they would all stand there, and they, I don't know, what, they didn't have guns back then, so I don't know how they signaled. I guess they all clapped their hands at once, and he would run. They'd wait a couple hours, and the rest of the marathon would take off. The military has scouts. Uh, only a foolish military goes and sieges a place without knowing anything about it. You don't just march ahead. Uh, And the Oregon Trail had people that scouted and went ahead. 
they, would, uh, they were these men that were given uh, the, the job of pathfinder, to go find a way forward. There was no road. And what they were given as an equipment was a few survey things and an ax. The ax was critical. And they would go ahead of the, of the wagon train, and they would search. Usually, they were a day's journey ahead or so, and they were going to find a way and mark it so that everyone behind them in the wagon train, the, the wagons and the cattle, uh, families with children, could find the road uh, that was going to be the safest. And so with the axes, they would go to, to bark, and they would mark it with these huge gashes. And at the time, a gash, the, the common term for it was blaze. And the Oregon Trail is where we get the term trailblazer. It's why trailblazer is the name of our local team, is because it's naming it after those that would go ahead and, and literally blaze the trail, and people would go and see the markers, and the, and the wagon train would follow. You cannot dispatch any crowd without having someone to go first to show them the way. It's, 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 it's a catastrophe. You can't just cut them loose. I can't imagine what it would be like to arrive somewhere in a retreat with youth kids and say, have at it and have no idea where you're directing them to. They'd all be dead and I'd have a lot of conversations to have with the family when I got back. Teens are not responsible. Nobody's responsible if they don't have something to follow. They don't know where they're going. A group must have a trailblazer, and they have to be trusted. I imagine on the Oregon Trail, there had to come a time when the wagon train came to it, and they could see the blazes cutting up what looked like the worst path. And this way looks way simpler. And they had to make a decision. Do I go with what seems safe, or do I follow the trailblazer? What they don't know is the trailblazer that went ahead of them went the easy path first, because it looked best to him as well. Turns out to be a nightmare. He came back and went the other way. I'll tell you this, every wagon train that got to the Willamette Valley safely trusted their trailblazer, and they had a good trailblazer. What we see is that Christ is, the, is our head, is our, is our leader. He is our trailblazer. I want to read this verse, and what Paul is summarizing is an argument he's begun to make that Christ is, is going to be, in the end, the center of all things that all things will come back to him and he will lead all of creation. He will lead all of the earth. And first and foremost, it says this, this is the ultimate one that belongs to him. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Like anyone on a voyage or a journey, we are leaving this world of, of a fallen creation into something redeemed, a world of life, or a world of life is what we're going into from this life of death. And to make this journey, we need a forerunner. We need a scout. We need someone who is going to blaze the trail and leave markers so that the rest of the gathering and the group knows where to go. And just like those people, we have to trust him undistractedly watching and keeping an eye out for the marks that he is leaving behind and not finding ourselves looking at others. Going on to chapter 2, he says, uh, again, uh, another one we're going to start in verse 18. Whenever I can get there. There we go. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person 
uh, also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost their connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now, that's an awfully weird uh, point, uh, the worshiping of angels. There's a lot of people that have studied this, and there's, there's two major thoughts on what he means here. One is people think that he means that there was literally a cult that began that was worshiping angels. And that's not necessarily impossible. We can even find times in church history that people tried to pray or contact angels, develop these weird, really weird theology about angels that nothing uh, in Scripture ever talked about. But there's not a lot of historical evidence at all that that's what they're saying. It's also unlike Paul to reference someone being wrong and then not really go after them. It was in his personality that if he said you were wrong, he was, you were going to get a few lines about it. He wouldn't just say they're worshiping angels. There, there would have been, there would have been a, like a fifth chapter of Colossians if this was happening. So honestly, the context fits it best that uh, he's doing something that's very Paul, Pauline, as they call it. He's mocking them. <laughs> Paul did love to mock, uh, uh, and if people were wrong, he kind of had this thing of like, all right, let's pretend you're right. Let's pretend you're right and talk about how stupid that is. That was, that was how Paul liked to start conversation, and so what we're seeing here uh, is, is really most like what fits the context best is that people have become, uh, they're spending so much time talking about obscure spiritual things, and maybe angels is a discussion they're talking about that they are, on the surface, true blue Christians, so fixated and distracted on these sub-points that they have lost the connection to the actual God they're supposed to serve. So fixated, so obsessed. We can't forget that worship means dedication. That's what the word means. It means to be, to be dedicated to something. The thing that takes your dedication is that which you are worshiping. This means something interesting. It means that all of humanity worships. The notion that agnostics and atheists don't worship is actually kind of absurd. If you're dedicated to something and it takes up your time and your effort and you sacrifice unto it, that's worship. Even if it's irreligious worship, it's worship. I think it's important for us to always ask ourselves, what is the altar in your life that you're willing to sacrifice for and on? That everything else falls to the wayside, that you would let that thing slip and go. I had this really critical moment today. I bought this really nice Bible. I, I, I actually, I thought I'd never tell this story, but I'm going to. I bought this with my, uh, my COVID stimulus check. I always wanted a really nice bound NIV. No one does this because people that buy NIVs don't want nice Bibles. ESV people, King James people, they spend some money on wonderful goatskin Bibles. If you want an NIV like this, you have to contact this guy on Etsy and ask him to bind it for you. So I was like, I'm going to do it. I've always put it off. I didn't ask the government for this money. Joke's on them. The feds just bought me a Bible. So I bought this Bible, and uh, I, it's, it's one that when I bought this, it's not this thing of like it made a difference. I'm reading the same stuff I've always read. But to me, it's like an heirloom piece. It's something that reminds me of the things God did. I had this during our interim transition. Uh, I intend to keep this forever. Uh, and today, as I got into the car, I dropped my iPad and my Bible at the same time. And I had one hand to catch them with. And I had to make a decision. 
And I saved the Bible. I let the iPad hit the ground, got a big scuff and my little pencil thing on it. But that's okay. In a few years, I'll have a new uh, iPad, and I don't intend to a few years have a new Bible. The point is that there's those things that we choose that, that if it came down to it, if I had to pick one or the other, I'm given Sophie's choice in my life. I'm going to let this one go, and I'm going to keep this. As long as you have that, you are practicing worship. And the point for these people is this. For these hyper-spiritual people that are spending so much time on angels and bizarre things that they're losing sight of what Christ is interested in, in worshiping him and following him, Paul's saying this, that you spend so much time talking about it, you might as well just worship it. Fully and completely distracted. We, we see this even uh, in recent times. You can find uh, really weird books about angels or if someone got really obsessed with it. It seems spiritual. It seems like it's in the region, but it can be such a great distraction. When all our life is caught up on that, so much so that we find ourselves that we no longer are looking at the face of God. It could be spiritual. It could be natural. It could be refreshing your phone every day to find out what's the latest in, in the, U, the Ukraine war or whatever is going on, the thing that worries you constantly having to look at it. And that every time we, we, that we pray, we're praying about the thing we're worrying about. And every time we worship, we're worshiping that God would do something about the thing that we're worrying about. And such a worry becomes a dedication. There are burdens that we're meant to act on, and when they go so deep, they become an act of dedication. And I got to say, if we, if we find our lives so dedicated to things that aren't our trailblazer, we should never be surprised that we're lost. That's what happens when you get distracted. These individuals are separated from the head. And like a body that's separated from the head, they are dead spiritually. I remember there was a, a book uh, that seemed to start out really well. I had a brother that was reading this book about just uh, someone who left the, the occult. So Satanism, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Satanism is basically an anarchy cult. They're not even talking about our Satan, but there's an occult, which is very focused, and it's what you might assume Satanism is. And this woman left it, and she wrote this book, and so my, my, one of my younger brothers was reading it, and he decided to quit reading it because he said, honestly, it's getting really weird. And I feel like I'm reading the manifesto of a real wounded person. And it was stuff about um, astral projection and, and how to ward against it. It started to get really specific and odd about stuff that's just not in the Bible. If it's not there, if there wasn't a, a teaching on that in here, then maybe we shouldn't be focusing on it. And that was how he felt. He just felt he was, he was allowing himself to be derailed in a sense of worrying about something uh, that didn't matter. And he saw it in that, woman, in that woman's issue that she became so fixated on a little issue that she was losing sight of the real thing. You know, I think one of the greatest deceptions is when we let our, that, that big interest be something that's spiritual. Maybe it's in the zip code of God. It's close enough to God that it seems like uh, a spiritual interest, things that, 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 are, that are close enough. There are videos that have gone viral of uh, Pentecostal services, that, especially in the 90s, that are really extreme. 
and, and their, their memes. If, if you don't know what a meme is, uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time. How would I summarize a meme? Because I, younger people, we all know what they are. It's basically this. It's a punchline that's always the same, and the setup changes. So it'll be someone looking all disappointed, and they'll say uh, how I feel when I find out my mom bought Toastios instead of Cheerios. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. I was disappointed when that happened, too. Generic cereal's not as good. Um, that's what they are. And so there's been these, these people that are, these viral videos that have become memes of these Pentecostal services that go crazy about, you know, when you find out that uh, your parents lied and you packed your bags for Disneyland and not Chattanooga, whatever the meme's going to be. And people get up and they, they, they would go crazy in these services. I guess is where I'm going with this. And I got very distracted on the whole meme thing. They're going crazy in their services. <laughs> and... Uh, you just, these churches had this sense of from the time the doors open to when they shut, that, and from the time that they, that they woke up and they went to sleep, everything was about these uh, mysterious, extreme exposure of the Holy Spirit in this motion and things going on. And I got to say, if, if they felt from the time the doors open and the doors shut, that it was all supposed to be about the, the Holy Ghost shakes and dancing, then why don't I get that with Scripture? Why is it when I open it up from one side to the other? That's not what I feel like the main point is. And I'm saying this as a Pentecostal pastor. We're a Pentecostal church. I, that's, that's one of the things that that verse up there means. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That if he poured out his spirit on the first century church and people were able to encourage each other with prophetic encouragement, that healing happened, there's just no reason for us to believe that that wouldn't be possible today. And yet we find this incredible break in focus because that's all it becomes about. We can find ourselves finding things that are in the zip code of God and thinking, well, then it's all about God. The God department in my life is healthy because I obsess over something that seems kind of godish, like angels. We can find ourselves thinking that our whole, our whole life is focused on uh, traditional morality. And just because it's in the zip code of God doesn't mean it's God. It doesn't mean that that should be the main thing we focus. We find ourselves focusing on things like social justice. And even though that is in the zip code of God and God cares about the justice of this world, it doesn't mean that it is God. The deception of the ultra-spiritual, as we call them, is not spiritual at all. Paul says they're puffed up in their ego, like overproved bread that collapses in the oven. And the loaf thinks that it's so full and it's so great, but it isn't living anymore. It just looks big. If you ever have ever overproofed bread, it looks amazing. It looks like it's going to be the biggest thing you've ever done in your life. Put it in the oven, it comes out a pancake. It needs to go in while the loaf is still alive with yeast. So if you're puffed up, you are beyond. You might look like you're alive, but you're not. And what's scary for these people, I think it's a warning for us all, is they sense no danger because to them they say, the God department of my life is healthy. Look at all the weird books about angels I've got. I definitely am a man of devoted faith. But they are obscured from the interests and heart of God. We should always ask ourselves, honestly, if you were to pick up this Bible, having never heard anything about Christianity, never hearing anything, you, you, you just 
pick it up and you read it cover to cover and you construct a faith from what you've read, how much does it look like the faith that was handed to you? There's always a time that we got to weed it out and say, is this accurate? Is this what I am reading, the same thing that I believe in, the same thing that I focus on? Because it can become far too obscure and far too extreme. I am a Pentecostal pastor, and I do not think that we're meant to just sit around in prayer rooms and prophesy all day long. There is a power of Holy Spirit, that, that pneuma, that, that wind that comes to empower us to do the things God has us to do, and it can look different. It looks in many ways, but it's always empowered by the Spirit. Are there other spiritual matters that matter than simply just thinking about God all day long and God specifically? I guess that's a weird way of putting it, but like everything, is there, is there anything that matters that's beyond, that is in the zip code that's worth focusing on? And the answer is yes. God gifted each one of you to be interested in a certain area, to be anointed for a certain work and a certain thing that's different. There are people that, uh, uh, even in the Catholic Church, there's people like, is it St. Andrew, I'm thinking? One of them was really felt this spiritual connection to God's creation. Now people pray for him for birds and stuff. It, it got weird, but at one time, that man was anointed to see a connection between God and his creation. Some people are anointed to be uh, graced by God, to care for the poor. Some are graced with wisdom. And it goes on and on and continues until the church, when it comes together in harmony, reflects to the greatest nature we possibly can what God looks like. And that's what the whole body teaching is. So yes, absolutely, there are things in your life that you're meant to care about that other people may not care about, that are God-related, God things. Whether that is your, your concern for people being delivered of spiritual oppression, whether that is your concern to see uh, God's breakthrough in people's finances, all those things matter. But don't forget this, whatever your burden is and your gift, never, ever will take the place of the head and should never be the headship of your life. The head is that which directs, it's that which cares and that which protects. Christ is not a niche interest that some of us are anointed to get. It is the head that is supposed to direct all of us, the first and foremost thing. Because I'll tell you this, the problem with anyone that would get lost trying to follow behind a trailblazer, it's not uh, the things they look at that are the biggest problem. It's the signs that they miss. It's the things they miss being interested in the special things God's given you isn't the thing that is gonna distract you. It's losing your interest in Christ. It's losing that thing that maybe there are people that are like, I just feel like I wanna understand angels. I'm interested in it. I'm gonna look in it, but Christ is always the head and he will always be before me. He'll always be the greatest thing and the most wonderful mystery. That'll be the foremost thing on my mind. Angels are entirely in God's domain, and we're not evil to be wondering about them. But we can be so taken with those things, those mystery things, that all their glory that was supposed to go back to God is lost. I think of this one uh, line from Lord of the Rings that really sticks with me. In the book, there's this poem they read. It's not in the movies, but it's a poem about uh, the kings of men that, 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 that disappear. 
It talks about what happened to them and how they just failed the lead. And there's this line that what happens to them is they get so caught up in these weird interests and, and they get in astrology and things. It says uh, in one line, they gaze at the stars and ceased to reign. They gaze at the stars and ceased to reign. That Their distraction made it to where they could not see the important thing they were supposed to do because their niche interest became too great and too large and became a distraction. The head of our life, our hope, and our source, our dedication, our worship is to God and it's to his son. That should be the foremost thing on our mind. And that's what it means for God to be your head, for Christ to be the head of you in a personal way. Paul begins to conclude this teaching as he wraps up this letter. Chapter three, verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ, as he concludes this talk on the body, rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. I spoke a few weeks ago about how head means source, the source of things where health comes down from. The brain is the source of the body. It commands the heart to beat. It commands the liver to create enzymes, the muscles to move. The brain requests water and it requests food for the body that's starving and cares for it. It's the brain that says, your skin is burning, go seek shade, we need to protect the skin. This was well understood in Paul's day. Egyptians actually thought the soul existed in your brain because you could strike a man in his legs and he might not walk, strike a man in his head and his personality's changed forever. They knew the head was that which directs, which is why Paul builds this analogy in this way. The head leads for the health and well-being and care for the body. A body with no head is, in fact, a dead body. And yet, from a connectedness to the head, an ongoing connected and a direct ability, obedience to the head, a body is cared for and it's nourished and it's led. I mean, really, perhaps it's that uncomplicated. The whole part of you being an individual body that follows the head that when you are lost, you go seek the trailblazer. If you're lost, that means you're probably not with that leader. Christ brings us back to health to center. And he needs time to do so. You're calling us to give him that time, to give him that a space and give him that attention that, you're, that the headship of your life, the directing force of your life, the interest that drives what you think about and where you go would come from God and not from the worries, not from the things that are in the zip code, but from God alone and your interest to follow him. Worship means dedication. And our challenge is to dedicate some time and to dedicate moments that we could be directed by Christ through dedication and focus, we make our life follow the head, to follow that trailblazer and the path is made new. Quick, silly question. Where does Superman get his power? Who read the comic books? He gets it from? The sun. There's this trope in the movies and comic books, a sketch from a comic book. Happens to him all the time. Kryptonite, he's getting beat. He's getting destroyed and he flies up, up, up up above the trees, up above the clouds, up into the atmosphere, up into the sun, where he, is, where he receives back the thing that makes him strong, makes him powerful, and he returns back to the fight. 
Where do you run when your life is being eaten up by troubles and where do you go? Where does a soul go to? Where does it run? Making Jesus the head, it means obedience and reliance to follow where the trailblazer told you to go and reliance knowing that he is going to, as the head, take care of the body, that he will take care of you. We have to listen to the head. We must make him the head of our lives, the headship of all things, that your calling and your life, no matter what you're anointed to be burdened for, your job, the roles that you have in your family and in your friends right now, whatever it is, that as a Christian, your thing, your calling is to spend the first and foremost thing in your life following God. He is the head of my life. What is Christ leading me to? that it would take over and supersede all things. Because I'll tell you this, when we follow the one that blazes the trail forward, we're gonna end up where we're supposed to be. Where we say, "This is Lord, you're the head of my life. Direct me, tell me what to do. My life is about serving you, about following you. This is what my spiritual dedication is, is to go after you with everything that's in me. Your body will end where it's supposed to be. It will go where it's supposed to go, to be the thing it's supposed to be and to serve how it's supposed to serve your life will be directed. Paul's warning is so simple in this, that there is a giant difference between being interested in God's things and being a wholehearted follower of him. Pure and simple. I think today is a day that we have an experience like Israel had several times in its own history of a time to go and tear down altars, to go and tear down other things, things that have gotten so big and so concerning in our life, whether it's through vanity or fear, that we find that our life, it's headship, if we are really honest with ourselves, is in Christ right now. And to all the more, go to him and say, Lord, I need your nourishment. I need you to protect me. I need you to build me up. I am beaten down. You are my head. That makes you my leader. You are my head. That makes me, or that makes you my source. Lord, today we step into your presence, knowing that through your Son and through your Holy Spirit, you have made yourself accessible to us to lead us, that we would experience you. Your Spirit leads us in in conviction within us. The word that you inspired through your people, it cuts with surgical precision to the heart. Lord, today would you lay bare our lives before us that we could say, is there, is there distractedness within me? Am I no longer following the notch marks? So I no longer seek God as the first and foremost thing of my life. Lord, I pray we would have a burden to earn one day a headstone that says, they followed Jesus with their entire life. God, I pray that it would be the first and foremost thing that we would experience the health of a body that obeys and follows and is nourished by the head of its life. And I pray that when we flourish and grow in that individual obedience, that it would have an impact on Living Way Fellowship. That it would have an impact on the city of Sandy, the places that we work, that this church its relationships would go deeper down and further rooted as we all share one common pole, one gravitational point. We all follow Christ as the head of our lives. 
I pray that when we come in here and when we worship together, when we pray together, we have a sense of unity knowing the person to my left, to my right in front of me and behind me, they and I have something in common. Christ is the head of our lives. Lord, make us a good team. Make us a healthy family and a strong body as you bring health and nourishment and direction to it. One thing unites us all, and it is the Son. We praise you, Jesus, for what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.